0: No mortal ear could have heard the Kelpie passing through the night, for the great black hooves of it were as soundless in their stride as feathers falling. Molly Hunter, The Kelpie's Pearls.
1: Violin device contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised.
0: I'm John John, and this is my sister. Welcome to Violent Vice. Say hi, Audie.
1: Hi, guys.
0: So, as the quote kind of gave away, we're talking about Kelpies today. I don't know if anybody really knows much about them, aside from their small appearance in that Fantastic Beasts movie. But, yeah. We're talking some Scottish lore right now. woo <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, Adi.
1: Yes, John. I have yes. one
0: question for you first. Yeah. What do you think a Kelpie is?
1: I think from my books that I have read that it is a essentially like a water horse spirit that drowns people. But that's the extent of my knowledge.
0: There is a lot more to it, but you got a pretty good short summary of it right there. Yeah, these are... Horses, sort of, around almost every major water type feature, lakes, rivers, ponds, even just random pools in Scotland, almost all have some story by the locals connecting to a Kelpie of some sort. There's even a castle, which is said to have uh, housed a tamed Kelpie. But the whole family was cursed because of it, but yeah. Hard to say, really, but it's a pretty prominent thing in Scotland. So, how we haven't heard about it with how much we, like, the Gaelic stuff is a bit beyond me.
1: Well, like, it's a lot, or a at least appears a lot in, like, fairy lore and everything, too. And I had a lot of books growing up that just briefly mentions Kelpies, but I haven't... I don't know, like, any background on it. I just know that it's a pretty cool and tragic spirit. So I'm excited to learn more about it.
0: Well, yeah, they are. I, w- I wouldn't say they're always tragic. They they can be pretty evil in some sorts. But like Adi said, they are typically horse-like creatures that usually either look super wet All the time or the most beautiful horse you've ever seen or the most beautiful guy you've ever seen or most beautiful girl you've ever seen. They're shapeshifters, Adi. They can change into whatever they want.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah. They particularly like to trick humans. And though they aren't essentially just hunting for humans, like I guess we are its main source of prey also hunts horses because it would be kind of easy for one to do that because it looks like a beautiful horse.
1: Yeah I would say fairly easy.
0: Yeah if I learn anything from Bugs Bunny that kind of works. Yep. But these shape-shifting watery horses can do a lot more than just shape-shift as well. They're they're basically like water benders from that avatar thing, but they can make huge waves come and just grab people from the shore, they can run on top of the water, they can even like cause the water to come out in streams and swim through it to come on shore to make it like super magically pretty to to lure people in and either eat them or just make them drown. Wow. Yeah. So it's like a mix between a bunch of different water type monster creatures, like a bit of that mermaid, bit of the sirens, bit of that Loch Ness monster type thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, Gaelic Celtic lore or Celtic.
0: Yeah but so so far down the list we have shapeshifters they can mess with water and the main way they bring people down into the water is that like their hides their skin fur whatever is essentially just like a giant sticky spider web type thing where if you touch it you Can't let go. At all.
1: Like at all, at all. And you can't be saved either.
0: Nope, it's it's a big horse and you're just a person and where it goes you have to go with. So it usually uses its shape-shifting appearance to make it come in and so a person touches it. Either as like just some playful horse where a child goes and wants to go for a ride on the horse will climb on and suddenly realize they're running straight towards the water and the child can't come off at all and that ends tragically or a beautiful woman when this lone guy is just wandering near a river who happens to see this beautiful woman and. Mid bath, and he go and try to seduce said lady, and once he caresses some part, suddenly his hand's stuck and he's now attached to this giant, demonic-looking watery horse thing, pulled down in the river and he dies. So, it it's a pretty ideal combination if you think about it. With the shape-shifting and the sticky skin and the watering, everything.
1: Yeah, no, definitely definitely a killing or a killer yeah. combination.
0: Though, like werewolves who have a weakness for silver, Kelpies have to be submerged in water any time after sunset. So these are daytime hunters. Where if they're out of the water after sunset then they essentially crumple up and die in some descriptions but they have to be submerged underwater after sunset so you'll only be seeing them during the day unless you're a nighttime scuba diver which i don't know if that would be a good idea in scotland
1: probably not i mean no
0: yeah so These are weird creatures, and they have a lot of different perceptions as to why exactly they do this. Some think purely for prey, because they are creatures hunting stuff. Some think they are like fairies, come from like a fae-type background, and they're mostly just trying to be mischievous and cause untimely deaths. Which doesn't sound like mischief, it sounds like just pure evil, but fairies are weird. And some just think that they are very, very lonesome creatures and just want some company in the depths. Which is why most people drown, because they can't stay there.
1: Yep. Yep. And then also, as the fae does, I mean, they like to kill, torture people some faith not all but some
0: mm-hmm. so there's a lot of mixed feelings but all of these stories are still like a core boogeyman like story for Scotland and it's been in their history and their story time sort of telling children to stay away from these dangerous waters and it's been a huge part of Scotland's folklore for a long, long time. So much that they even made statues of these watery horses in Falkirk, Scotland. They're just the Falkirk Kelpies where you only see their heads above the water, but the rest of the statue is underneath, which is weird to think about. I think they'd probably put it together the same way they would put together a huge bridge, put it to block off the water, but that's a whole other thing. But it's, they are beautiful statues.
1: I bet, and it sounds like a really cool concept, too.
0: Yeah, and I feel like Falkirk has more historical significance than comes to mind. Probably a couple of big battles. I want to say William Wallace was involved, but still. Lots of weird historical things happened in Scotland. But in my research of looking up all these different stories on Kelpies, I've only found snippets and sighting type things. And most people would say that if you've talked to anybody who lives near water in Scotland, they have a Kelpie story to tell you so that kind of leads me to this particular story that is on creepypasta.com and it's untitled and it's written by blank there's nobody taking credit for it which is weird
1: it makes it all the more creepy for Creepypasta. pasta
0: no but Time for me to try to scare you without scaring myself, which I can't make any promises.
1: I'm a hard one to scare, unless of course it's a jump scare, but... Hard one to freak out.
0: I feel like I'm gonna freak me out before I freak you out.
1: And you have no Reddit usernames to block this time
0: with. Nope.
1: Nope.
0: (sighs) Alright. So, are you ready for the creepypasta story, Kelpie.
1: Yes, three spook, five me, please.
0: Uh, Why do I have to psych myself up to read something myself? Adi, you did this to me.
1: This is why I have you go last, so at least you're doing it to yourself, and then not me, to you, and then we leave.
0: I hate why you're right.
1: (sighs) Logic, it works.
0: Okay gotta wiggle the shakes out. Okay. Are you ready?
1: Ready as ever.
0: Alright, the Kelpie. I wasn't very old when I first saw it. Maybe about five or six or so. It was a long time ago, but I remember it well. For what feels like the longest time, The whole experience of it felt like a dream, like it never really happened. Just a little image in my head, a half-forgotten memory. Maybe it didn't. I can't remember exactly where the place was, just what it looked like. As the same with the people there. No face or name I can say now. Maybe they weren't even there. Just additions by time to the memory slowly changing the devils and the details. But they don't matter much. They never did. What did matter was the Kelpie. It was summer. I was playing near the bayou not far from my grandmother's house. I'd been sent there to spend the duration of the warm season. My mother thought it was good to breathe fresh air. Humid air instead of the city smog. My summer that year was spent with my grandmother down south. She was a fierce old lady, second generation from Scotland. Often she would tell wonderful tales of the locks and the forests from her parents' homeland, about all the creatures that lived within the waters, and all the ones that lived in the trees. One of my favorites was the selkie, beautiful seal women who could change shape at will as they sunned on the rocks, or swam in the sea. Another was the Ich usage. a more ferocious beast, but also quite interesting to me. My grandmother said that they could take the form of a singing woman, where they would lure sailors into the ocean and drown them in the salt water when they got close, like sirens. The one I love most, though, was the unicorn such a majestic mysterious creature i liked how pure it was told to be i'd always had a desire to see one to touch its pure white coat but i knew they weren't real just stories just tales but i liked to pretend one day i went down to the bayou to catch a fish I was very proud of myself having made a pull from a stick and some string. My grandmother laughed and said if I caught a fish she would cook it for me. I became very determined to the task. I told her I would be back before sundown. I waited at the banks of the water, legs crossed and pole in hand. There was a small bit of uncooked bacon on the end of the line. I knew I was I knew I was going to catch a fish. I just knew it. My train of thought and concentration was broken by music. Someone was playing a fiddle. The sound was enchanting. I looked around for the source, not finding one, I tried to follow the sound. Abandoning the pole on the bank with the line still in the water, I quietly crept along the bank, walking until I found the source of the music. I found it was playing the fiddle. was a young man sitting on a branch of a large tree. The limb hung just above the water, and the young man lay against it, suspended over the mirror-like surface, playing a tune to his wooden fiddle. The white strings seemed to glow in the faint morning light. He stopped when he saw me and smiled. No words came between us, but he beckoned for me with his hand to take a seat on the mossy bank and he continued to play. The music was wonderful. When the song ended, I asked for him to play another. He nodded, but only if I went into the water. My grandmother had been very keen with me to keep out of the water. I could not swim at the time and she made me promise to stay on the bank. So I removed my shoes Let my legs dangle in the cool, calm water. He played another song. When he finished, he beckoned with his hand again for me to to come closer, deeper into the water. Like he was going to tell me a secret and whisper it in my ear. I shook my head. I had made a promise. The young fiddler seemed sad, disappointed, can't quite remember the details of his face, but I can just remember his frown. He sighed and rolled off the branch and into the dark water without a splash. Just a few small ripples came from where he entered the bayou. He never came out of the water. After that, I went back to the house as my grandmother called my name. First, I ran to get my pole. A tiny minute was on the end of a paperclip hook. I almost told my grandmother about the young fiddler, but I didn't. She would just think it strange and say it was nonsense. The next day, I went back again to the Bayou Banks fishing pole in hand. I said to my grandmother I would catch a bigger fish. I told her I would be I told her I would be back before sundown I went back to my spot and sat cross-legged, full in hand. There was a small cut of deer on the hook. I sat and waited for a fish to bite. My thoughts trailing off about my grandmother's stories. They were stopped by the sound of laughter. It was a girlish laughter. Light and soft. I was curious. Usually the bayou was so lonely, just the call of faraway birds and the hum of cicadas. But the laughter broke through it. Right into my head, I followed the sound, leaving my pole on the bank and the line in the water. Moving silently, I walked along the bank. In the same place with the low-hanging tree limb was where I found the source of the laughter. That small, watery grove seemed just a little different. A large, gray rock sat in the middle of the water, emerging from the deep. I hadn't noticed it before. Possibly I just hadn't remembered it from when I met the young fiddler. Sitting on the rocks were three young girls Looked a few years older than me. All of them had long dark hair that swayed around them like thousands of waved silk strings. Hearing them laugh made me happy. I don't really know why. I got closer and sat on the bank to watch them. The girls were as beautiful as the Selkies and the tales my grandmother told me. They all had fair skin, seemed to glow, in the dimmed bayou light. One of them met her dark eyes with mine. She beckoned with a finger towards me. She wanted me to come and play. I wanted to. They seemed as though they were having so much fun up on the rock there. I took off my shoes, rolled up my pant legs. I waded in up to my knees, and my feet sunk slightly into the silty mud but looking down into the water i remembered i couldn't swim i sadly stood there sorrowful that i could not join these new friends one by one they slid effortlessly into the water and swam towards me only their eyes visible above the water with their hair flowing behind them They swam around my legs, barely disturbing the water. One pulled gently at my leg, another at my hand. I shook my head. I couldn't. Disappointed, they sighed dismally and let go of my left hand. They left, slipping away like the water they swam in. Their sighs were almost musical as melodic as they were. I didn't want them to go. I almost swam in after them, but I heard my grandmother call my name. I went to get my pole. A small fry was at the end of my line. I almost told my grandmother about the Bayou Selkie girls, but I didn't. I felt like they were mine, somehow. Like a secret that only I would know. The following day, I set out again. I was going to get a bigger fish. I had to. This is my last day in the bayou. I was going home the next day. I told my grandmother I would be back before sundown and went to the bank to fish. With the pole in my hands, and my legs crossed over one another. There was a small strip of gator meat at the end of my makeshift hook. I gazed out into the dark, still water. It seemed almost dead, lovely, but dead. Metallic blue dragonfly landed on the water, took a sip and flew off. I watched it go. My attention was then turned to the most unusual noise, hooves and a neigh. There were no horses in the bayou, so I started to wonder I put my pole down on the bank and let the line sit in the water. I followed the sounds of the brain horse. Yet again, I came to the same place. The willows hung low, tree limbs sat just above the water, and the rock was empty of any selkie girls. Standing by the tree on a small island bank in the middle of the water was a unicorn. It didn't have a horn, much to my disappointment, but there it was, a pure white horse. It pawed at the ground with long fur hooves. Its mane was elegant and shiny. It seemed to glow, just like the selkie girl's skin, and the young man's fiddle strings. It was beautiful, even if it may not have been a unicorn as the bayou girls were not selkies and the young fiddler not the singing it looked towards me and waved its head up and down up and down it was calling to me without hesitation i got into the water i didn't even take off my shoes i stood knee deep the white horse trotted into the water and began to swim to me I hoped it would play with me on the banks, or at least in the shallows. It stopped, though, just a little further out from where I was. It could stand there, but then again, it was much bigger than me. The water couldn't be too deep over there, could it? It looked towards its back. It was offering me a ride. In my excitement, I forgot all about my grandmother's words and went deeper into the water, up to my chest, then my shoulders. The water felt suffocating as it went higher and higher. I felt like my lungs were being crushed under the pressure of it. I held my hand out to the white horse. It was still just out of reach. I took another step and the water was to my chin. My fingers brushed over its silky mane water weeds had collected in it, giving it green flecks here and there. I went to touch it again. This time, though, it felt more sticky, like tape or glue. Looking down to the water, the white horse had lost its glow. It seemed more gray, darkening the further down it went until it was almost black. Maybe it was just the water My foot slipped. I went down under the water, opening my eyes in a panic. I was horrified at what I saw in front of me. Where the white horse's belly and legs would have been, I only saw smooth, black, decaying flesh. Water weeds strewn in and out of it. The back legs fused together in a slowly fanning tail. It was like something out of a nightmare. I immediately stepped back, my movement slowed by the water. I turned around and my head broke the surface as I reached the shallows. I scrambled onto the bank and looked back. The white horse was gone. I felt a relief, although I deeply missed the white horse. Where had it gone? I heard my grandmother call my name. In my soaked and muddy clothes, I ran by my fishing pole. A large catfish was at the end of the hook. I left both and hurried back to my grandmother's house. I told my grandmother about the white horse. I did this time. I left out the Selkie girls and the young fiddler for my story and I did not mention the nature of me falling into the water. But I asked her about a white horse in the water. She told me a tale about a Kelpie. It was a water demon that often took the shape of a beautiful white horse. Among others, such as a handsome man playing a violin or a young maiden, it would offer a ride to anyone willing, then take them into the water and drown them. Nothing would ever be found of them. That night, I forced myself to go back there I needed to see if it was real. By the light of my torch, I followed the path I had taken as I had searched for the source of the sound, but after hours of searching, I could not find it. No green willows, no low-hanging tree limb, no rock. I went back home the next day, happy to be away, yet desperate to go back. I never did until recently. My grandmother had died about a month before. It had been years since I had seen her. In fact, she had visited only once since the time I spent a summer with her. I traveled down back to the bayou, back to her home, to pack up her things and sell the house. I had nearly forgotten those three days down at the banks of the bayou. The whole summer had been a blur that year, but going there brought those memories back. For so long, I had dismissed it as a dream or some dull event of meeting other people. A man playing an instrument, some girls swimming in the water, an animal on another bank, a deer perhaps, or a white goat that had lost its way. Nothing out of the ordinary for the South. Maybe it was just my imagination that I saw a white horse and pet its mane. But to reassure myself, of this childhood nonsense I decided to go and take just one little look that morning I would be back before sundown I found my old fishing spot my pole was still there somehow as if I had just left it I found the fresh carcass of the catfish I had left there years before I tossed it into the water curious then I heard the music fiddle music And laughter and the sound of a horse I followed it and I found that same place the place with the willows and a low-hanging tree limb and a rock and the opposite bank with the tree once I got there though all the music and laughter was gone the tree limb sat empty over the water the rock isolated and alone. On the opposite bank was the white horse, the Kelpie. It shook its head and beckoned me over. Something seemed strange, not quite right, out of place. But against my better judgment, I took off my shoes, stepped into the water. Faintly, I could hear hissing and a quiet screeching noise sounded like it was coming from the water i ignored the sounds and went deeper into the bayou finally it was getting too deep to stand as i kicked off the bottom my foot hit something sharp i don't think it bled through so i continued across the water without a thought i couldn't shake the feeling that something was under me swimming maybe even Multiple somethings. I need a quick break.
1: Okay, yep, sorry this has been all you reading, it's all good.
0: Yeah, and... I climbed onto the bank. As I got close, Kelpie kneeled. It was offering me a ride. I remembered what my grandmother had said about these offered rides. I took a box knife from my back pocket and held it behind my back, just in case. Opening the blade, I stepped closer and hesitantly put a hand on the magnificent beast. Its white fur was soft and it felt like water in my hands. I told myself I shouldn't, I had one of those feelings that you get going into a dark tunnel or alley. You know it could be dangerous, and most likely is, but you still go. I sheathed the knife and sat atop the white horse. It stood and pranced in a circle. I laughed. Oh, how I wished I had done this years ago. Looking up, I saw the young fiddler laying on the low-hanging tree limb He plucked the string and began to play. He had a handsome face with shaggy blonde hair hidden under a hat. His clothes looked old, like he was from the Wild West. The three Bayou Selkie girls came out of the water and lay atop the rock, laughing and brushing out the water weeds with their fingers. I noticed their faces this time, soft, delicate features with Shining dark eyes and smiling mouths. They all seemed so happy. I started to feel the same. A large grin was stuck on my face. Though after a moment, that was replaced with a feeling of sickness. Worryment. I had a deep ache in my stomach. I was scared. But of what? I tried to lift my hand from the white horse's neck. I wanted to get off. I wanted to swim to the other bank and run away from this place. My hand wouldn't move. I pulled at it with my free hand, but it was stuck, like it had been glued. I watched in horror as the white horse's coat began to gray before my eyes, becoming darker and darker. Finally, it became an oily black. Light shined off it in different colors. It turned its head towards me. No longer was this beautiful creature I had seen across the bank. It was a monster. The Kelpie. Its eyes were blue and clouded and I could see its jagged teeth through a decayed mouth. A long greenish black tongue Lapped out of its jaws, the kelpie's skin started to become a sticky black goo, engulfing my hand and surrounding my legs. I called for help from the young fiddler and the selkie girls. It was like they did notice; they didn't notice me shouting at them. When they did finally look at me, I realized that they too were not as they seemed. No longer were the sulky girls beautiful and young. Their skins were green and rotting. One of them was missing an eye. They gazed lazily at me with tilted heads as if they were frowning at me with disappointment from their retracted lips and bare teeth at my fateful decision to ride the Kelpie. The young fiddler, his clothes turned and half of his face peeled away Plucked a few saddened notes before his skin began to bubble and turn black. The Selkie girls did the same. Slowly, they all dissolved, bone and flesh, into the same black goo of which the Selkie was made. Gradually, they dripped into the water and dissipated like ink, becoming underwater smoke. As soon as they were gone, the Kelpie leapt into the water with me on its back. As it dove deeper, I tried to pull away. The melting black kelpie skin was slowly crawling up my legs and chest. I was running out of air. I snatched the box cutter from my pocket and cut at the silky, decaying flesh. It screeched. It looked at me with its dead eyes. I saw my own reflection in them. It was angry. It was in pain. And it looked ready to bite. I slashed out at it again. And it bit at me this time, just inches from my face. I had freed my legs. As I tried to cut away the black flesh around my arm and hand, the Kelpie jerked and changed direction, causing the box cutter to dig into my arm. Silently screaming, I watched in horror as the last of my air escaped towards the surface. I cut at it again, and I was free. At a small glimpse, I noticed I was at the bottom. There were bones down there human ones. In that short look, I counted at least four skulls. The Kelpie screamed and swam off into the dark water as I pulled myself to the surface. I gasped and coughed. As my face was touched by the warm and humid bayou air, I looked around. Nothing was moving. Dead silent. I noticed a small rip, a small ripple a few meters away. It got closer and closer, then it disappeared. Only a second passed before I felt something grab my ankle and yank me back under the water. I was being dragged back down. The Kelpie seemed insistent that I never make it back to the banks. I opened my eyes to see myself face to face with the Kelpie. Its black mane flowed around it. Below me, the Selkie girls were grasping at my ankle. I jabbed the knife forward into the Kelpie's eye. It screamed again, such an inhuman noise that made my ears feel as though they were about to bleed. I no longer felt the hands grasping on my leg. The grip around my ankle was gone. The Kelpie, screaming, swam away, the box cutter still in its eye. I swam back to the water surface. Quickly paddling my way to the bank, I hoped that Kelpie would not come after me for revenge. As I reached the silty shallows, I slowly walked forward, holding my freely bleeding arm. Blood dripped into the water from my fingertips. I crawled up onto the mossy bank and lay on my back for a moment, catching my breath. I sat up and tore away the water weeds that had wrapped around me on my way to the bottom of the bayou. My legs were covered in mud up to my knees, blackening the ends of my rolled up jeans. I looked around. It was nearly night somehow. The sun was gone and the first few stars had begun to shine. In the dark, in the darkening sky, the quiet and beautiful lagoon Had changed in appearance, just like creatures that inhabited. The rock was mossy, crumbling, cracked. The low-hanging tree limbs sat broken and sticking up out of the water. All the willows were dead, their leaves decaying upon the ground in clumps. The rest of the trees looked sickly as well. Nothing here was healthy or alive. I backed further away from the water. My hand touched something smooth. Looking behind me, I saw the remnants of a polished fiddle. It looked broken, untouched for years. Further away, I saw the remnants of three colorful beach towers. They were just threads now. Skeletons of fish were around every discarded item. Looking closer in the weeds, I noticed more, dozens of things left behind by those who rode the Kelpie. I never went back to the bayou as I sold my grandmother's house to a happy family from upstate New York and handed them the keys. I warned them not to get too close to the waters. There might be gators. As I got into my car and started to drive away, I watched as a little boy tugged at his mother's sleeve, saying, I'm going to the bayou, just to have a look. I'll be back before sundown. I drove away, my heart giving an empty egg for the mother of that little boy. Yes, I told myself, he'll be back before sundown. The end.
1: Oh, Russ. Right? Yeah.
0: But it sort of had everything about the Kelpies in it.
1: No, you're right. It, it did. I mean, a good boss story. Long one, yeah. but good. Yeah. A lot of detail.
0: Is it bad that that was the shortest one I could find?
1: No, no. It was perfect for, I think, the podcast. I enjoyed it. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it. I was entranced.
0: Oh. Not as scary as your episodes, but, uh, oh boy, that would have been weird.
1: Yeah. Listen to your gut feeling. If something feels wrong, it's wrong,
0: and leave. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Also, listen to Grandma.
1: Grandma knows best. It's fine.
0: Yeah. So what do you think, Audie? Do you think Kelpies are in the Everglades?
1: I'm not sure about the Everglades, but <laughs> I think, you know, with Nessie being in Loch Ness and everything, definitely being in Scotland or the UK is totally plausible. Yeah. I just like <laughs> thinking that the fae is real. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. And I like how I mentioned a bunch of other of these water creatures as well. So it's like confusing it with something else would have been a very real thing.
1: Yeah, a real problem. And I mean, there are so many creatures in lore that, you know, it could be one thing, could be another, and then some disguise themselves, like the Kelpie, as other things. So...
0: Yeah, that that just sounds like a confusing place.
1: Yep, and a dangerous one to be in.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that is all I have. Yeah. For today,
1: that's all good. I do like, I do want to say, I like how the Kelpies, or at least part of the Kelpies, took on characteristics of their victims, like the beach towels for the girls and then the broken fiddle for the guy that played the fiddle. I th- thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah, I didn't really expect that. I had like a thinking. About halfway through that, I was like, hmm, maybe these were victims, or, like, it's a weird team-up of a bunch of things. But no, it was all just the Kelpie.
1: Yeah. But that's cool. Yeah. It cre- it's definitely creepy. Stay away from the water, guys.
0: Yeah. Or at least not until after sundown. But then gators are more active then, so just stay away in general. hmm Especially in the south. I don't know about in Skyland. I I don't think they have any gators. And if they do, it's an accident. Or Loch Ness. But, yeah. (laughs) When the sun's up, make sure you're on a boat.
1: I'm on a boat. (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) There's a good uptick.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: (sighs) Do you want to take us
1: out? Yeah, I can. So if you guys could do us a favor, hit five stars and leave us a review on this podcast. That would help us out a lot. Tell your friends. Tell your family. And please write a review. Um, You could say, I like toast. I like bread. I like Kelpies. That would be fun. We'd love to hear from you guys. If you guys want to email us, you can email us at violinvice at gmail.com. That's A and D. No ampersands here. We have Facebook and Instagram at Vice Podcast, and a Twitter at ViolinVice. And if you guys want to message us either via email or slide into our DMs, that would be totally cool. And if you guys want to go above and beyond, like our patron of the month, Brianna, you can support us at ViolinVice at Patreon.com. That's or er, Patreon.com slash ViolinVice. And we'd really, really appreciate it. We have bonus content on there, like more Black-Eyed Kids stories, some sleep paralysis uh, stories. Uh, and if I can creep john out more, I might get some more Haunted Stuff stories on there as well. No, we just have so much fun doing that, don't we, John-John? You have
0: so much fun doing that. I am, I'm going to have a weird week now.
1: It makes for a good listen. Hmm. But um, we'd really appreciate it either way. So thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next week.
0: Bye.
1: Bye. Thank you for listening to Violent Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Rebac. If you want to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash fileandvice, or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.